Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Happening now, the anxious wait for the first major release of hostages from Gaza after an agonizing delay. Israel and Hamas once again on the verge of a temporary truce expected to begin just hours from now. If all goes according to plan, it would mark the first pause in the hostilities since the war began and could potentially could set the stage for even more captives to come home. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv, Israel, and this is a Situation Room special report. Let's begin our coverage right now here in the Middle East, where we appear to be on the cusp of a critical moment in the war. 13 hostages now just hours away from returning home if the agreement between Israel and Hamas holds firm. CNN's Oren Lieberman has the latest. After nearly seven weeks of war, it is the storm before the calm. final hours of fighting in Gaza ticking down until a pause in the conflict set for early Friday morning. 13 hostages, women and children, will then be freed by Hamas on Friday afternoon, transferred to the Red Cross, and then back to Israel. We are waiting on a day-by-day basis to wait for a phone call to see if our loved ones are coming back. Under the agreement, the pause in the fighting is scheduled to last four days. A total of 50 Israeli women and children will be released in stages in exchange for 150 Palestinian women and children held in Israeli prisons. The spokesperson for Qatar's foreign ministry expressed hope that the deal could be the basis for a longer pause. We are hoping that uh, these four days would work as a proof of concept for further uh, de-escalation measures, including uh, expanding, uh, extending this uh, humanitarian truth but, uh, pause, but also uh, getting to uh, a more sustainable, uh, sustainable truth. Hundreds of trucks are waiting at the Rafah border crossing outside of Gaza, ready to enter the Strip as a part of the agreement. Nearly 80% of Gaza's population is displaced, facing critical shortages of food, water, and fuel. These trucks will provide only a fraction of what's required. For Gazans, the pause in fighting is a brief respite after weeks of relentless Israeli bombardment. As of Tuesday, more than 12,700 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza, based on numbers from the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health, which have not been officially updated because of a breakdown in communications. On Thursday, Israel detained Dr. Mohammed Abu Salmiya, the director of Al-Shifa Hospital. The IDF says he was questioned about alleged Hamas activity at the hospital. The IDF released footage of additional tunnels they say were uncovered below Gaza's largest medical facility. Health officials in Gaza have consistently denied Hamas used the hospital for military purposes. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a meeting with the new UK Foreign Minister David Cameron, said the pause in fighting is not the end of the war. We'll continue with our war aims, uh, namely to uh, uh, 
eradicate Hamas, because Hamas has already promised that they will do this again and again and again. The Prime Minister's office said in a statement that it had notified the families of the first 13 hostages to be released. Gil Dickman says he's holding his breath, even though his loved ones are not in that initial group. And I'm, I'm actually myself very excited to hear about the kids that are coming home and the hostages that are coming home. And uh, but, but, but after saying that, I can't really believe anything until I see them free and home. And Oren Lieberman is with me here in Tel Aviv. Oren, we're only a few hours away from this agreement supposedly about to be implemented. What's been the latest as far as military activity in northern Gaza is concerned? Our colleague Jeremy Diamond is, is in Sterot watching over northern Gaza and has seen a tremendous, what appears to be an uptick in Israeli military activity. Heavy artillery strikes in northern Gaza where the IDF has said they're operating and going after the northern branch of, uh, of Hamas's division there. And according to reports on the ground, there are a terrifying number of strikes. We've also spoken with a, a Palestinian journalist in northern Gaza who says 20 were killed in a strike on two buildings in the Jabalia refugee camp. The IDF hasn't commented on that specifically, but we know that's where they're operating. Crucially, Wolf, just because there is activity, there is fighting right up until that deadline, which is seven hours from now, that does not mean the deal is off. To some extent, it was expected that there would be fighting, and the IDF said they would, would continue to operate until they get the order to stop fighting and move into defensive positions. I know you've been speaking with family members of the hostages. What are you hearing from them? Still very difficult moments now. There are only 13 families out of this initial group of 50 and out of the much larger group of nearly 240 who have gotten the notification, according to the Israeli Prime Minister's office, that their loved ones should, if everything goes well here, come home tomorrow. That means even the other 37 families in that initial batch of 50 in this agreement haven't heard anything, which means more agonizing hours of waiting, hoping that there is good news at the end of this. We have spoken with a few of them who have said, look, we're happy that, that somebody is coming out and that this process has begun. We won't necessarily believe it until we see it, but it seems like this process is moving forward and we hope it expands beyond the initial 50 to all the women and children and from there hopefully grows into the elderly men and from there beyond that. Is that reasonable, reasonable to think at this point? Still very difficult to come to that conclusion definitively. The IDF has warned that there are going to be changes up until the last second and even as the agreement plays out over the next four days of the pause in fighting. Let's hope all those hostages come out. Or Oren Lieberman reporting for us. Thank you very, very much, Oren. For more on uh, Qatar's role, and it's a critical role in these negotiations, I want to bring in CNN's Becky Anderson. She's joining us from Doha, Qatar. Becky, you were there at the news conference, asked some important questions to the Qatari foreign minister. How important is Qatar's role in getting these hostages released, hopefully in just a few hours? It's been absolutely crucial. I mean, Qatar have a reputation and a built of mediation, and they've they they, they they it's part of their foreign policy, and they they've spent a long. Uh, time building that up through the, the, the Afghan role. I was here eight weeks ago when the, uh, the Qataris have mediated the release of the U.S. hostages from Iranian prisons, Afghanistan, Sudan. They have a role in mediation. But this, the team tells me, has been really difficult, intense, complicated, uh, really, really tough at times. And that is because these two sides, these two groups, 
Israel on the, on the one side and Hamas on the other simply do not trust each other. There is no trust between the two. And that is what's made these talks really difficult. I've been back and forth uh, from, from uh, Intercata over the past weeks. We thought we'd get there. We got there at one point. Twice we thought we got there and then things fell apart. So this is absolutely crucial. They say their work is not done, but this is the biggest diplomatic breakthrough since this conflict began, if this works as the plan has suggested. But I did ask the... Uh, spokesman for the foreign ministry today who held that press conference, Majid Al-Ansari, whether he expected any further delays. This is what he told me. We are hoping that we don't see any delays and uh, I think we've reached a point now where everything is in place and we are ready to, uh, to go on, uh, on the ground. So we are hopeful that, uh, as I told you, by 7 a.m. tomorrow, everything will stop and we'll have the beginning of the humanitarian uh, truth uh, or pause. When it comes to uh, the, uh, what delays, uh, what were the reasons of, uh, of the delays, I can tell you that uh, the, the discussions over the details and the schematics of how this will happen were very difficult and very uh, detailed because we wanted, as I said, to make sure that nothing would cause harm in, in the process of getting the hostages out, but also that the, the, the parameters of the agreement are agreed upon in the operational sense between both sides, and that took a lot of uh, you know, discussions between uh, both sides, but we are happy to report that the discussions happened in a very positive environment where both sides uh, showed the commitment to, to the agreement itself. It was about 48 hours ago, Wolf, you will remember that, this, uh, that, that there was an announcement that there was an agreement. They got this across the line. And then we waited to find out when this truce would begin and when these hostages would be released. We have those scheduled times now. We just hope that this comes together. Wolf. Let's hope, uh, Becky. I know we're also learning more from Israeli officials about the mm. Palestinian prisoners who will be released by Israel on Friday in exchange for the hostages. What are you learning on that front? 39 women and young men under the age of 18. They will be released from a prison um, in Haifa and taken uh, into um, the West Bank, down uh, towards Ramallah, well, they, where they will be met by the RC, ICRC. Their health will be uh, checked and then they will be returned home. Um, this is an exchange, of course. It's been described as a three-for-one exchange. So we're looking at 11 uh, hostages released by Hamas tomorrow, 39 released by the Israelis from Palestinian prisons. We do know that Hamas has the list of names, um, but we also know that the Palestinian prisoners group, the committee who would overlook those who were in prison, you keep a tally of those who are in prison, have not been given uh, those names. So very unclear whether the families of those Palestinians will know that their uh, women and young men are being released tomorrow. It's an important part of this arrangement to be sure. Becky Anderson reporting for us from Doha, Qatar. Thank you very much. And now to the U.S. reaction to all these major developments in the Middle East. Our chief national security correspondent, Alex Marquardt, is tracking the story for us from Washington. Alex Anderson, the Biden administration says there are 10 Americans likely among the hostages. What, what do U.S. officials know about the release starting tomorrow? 
Well, they know that of those 10, Wolf, that there are three who qualify for this first phase of hostage releases, that there are two women and one young child who they hope to get out in the next few days. What they're less clear on is whether they will be part of this initial 13 expected to be released tomorrow, but they are hopeful, they are expecting that those three Americans would come out uh, in the coming days. Now, the youngest is three-year-old Abigail Edan. Uh, she has been talked about a lot by President Biden. In fact, she turns four uh, tomorrow, Wolf. The U.S. has also said that they will not, unlike the Israeli government, they will not be telling American families that their relatives are coming out. Because of how fluid this situation is, they say they want to confirm that those American citizens are out of the Gaza Strip, or at least in safe hands, before they alert the families. So we can expect that once American citizens make their way out of Gaza or on their way out of Gaza, that those uh, families will be alerted uh, once that has been confirmed by American officials, uh, American officials or Israeli officials. But the Biden administration insisted that they've been on very close contact with these American families. There was a Zoom call with the families a couple of weeks ago with President Biden himself. A senior administration official said that, that it was one of the most gut-wrenching experiences, one of the most gut-wrenching things that, that he had heard uh, happen in the Oval Office. Now, President Biden himself, he's in Nantucket for his Thanksgiving holiday when asked by reporters whether that young Abigail Edan would be out tomorrow. He just put up his, uh, his hand and said, fingers crossed, Wolf. Let's hope. Uh, Alex Marquardt reporting for us. Thank you very, very much. I want to get some analysis now from former State Department Middle East negotiator Aaron David Miller and CNN political and national security analyst David Sanger, who's also uh, with The New York Times. Uh, Aaron, uh, I'll start with you. Do you see this hostage deal as being the first step to a much larger deal to secure the release of more of the hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza? If the if uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Wolf. If this one goes well, the next four days are relatively problem free, uh, and there's no broken trust, let alone um, a, uh, a renewal of hostilities in this in the truce. Yeah, I think it could lead to uh, to a, a a larger release. Same pattern. The problem, of course, is going to be Hamas will still have, even if it leads to a, a hundred, which is extraordinary and extremely welcome to the hostages and their families. Uh, Hamas will maintain control of at least another hundred. And the game, the cruel game here, I think is very clear to dribble our hostages over time, buy time, uh, rearm, regroup, and hope that international pressure, including from the United States, leads to uh, pressing the Israelis to constrain, diminish, or even end. Uh, their ground campaign. That, I think, is the real challenge ahead. But for the moment, we'll know in a matter of hours whether or not the Qatari brokered negotiations have actually succeeded. And I, I truly hope so. Yeah, we all hope that it succeeds and all those hostages can come home. Uh, David Sanger, what stands out to you about the framework of this hostage deal between Israel and Hamas? Well, a few things. Uh, jump out at me. Um, first of all, where the Hamas started on this was a return of hostages in, re in uh, return for a complete cessation of the bombing of the Palestinians. And so it was quite a piece of diplomacy to move to something that is basically a three-to-one deal, three Palestinians uh, released for each uh, Israeli, or in this case, is some Israeli-Americans as well. Um, that's a, quite a piece of diplomacy, and as Aaron suggested, there's the hope that it will expand to more. 
pardon me. Um, and uh, that's that would be great news if we can make that work. The uh, downside to it would be uh, if, in fact, they can't make anything happen after the next few days, after the next five or uh, six days of additional hostage releases. And if that happens, then we're in a, a different world where the Israelis are going to decide whether or not to pursue their bombing campaign. And as Aaron points out, that's going to be a really, really hard call. Because if they do, Israel will be charged with starting this war up again. And uh, Hamas, I'm sure, will make the case that there were more hostage releases that were possible but cut off by that. And that could be a really difficult uh, domestic position. On the other hand, Hamas isn't going to give up all the last of these hostages. They are their leverage. Good, good point. Aaron, the hostages are clearly leverage. Uh, for for Hamas. So how does Israel negotiate for their release while at the same time continuing to fight this war and try to destroy Hamas? It's the it's the cruelest dilemma, uh, Wolf, and, and David referred to it, and you, you've witnessed it, you've talked to the hostage families, you, you understand that the dilemma the Israelis face is how to, I won't use the word avenge, but how to um, prevent this... Uh, prevent this from ever happening again. So 1,200 Israelis uh, won't be, or any Israelis won't be cruelly murdered uh, sadistically and indiscriminately, balanced against, that commitment to the dead will balanced against the commitment to the living, which as you know, Israel puts a premium on redeeming their people, dead or alive from the battlefield. And that I think is the cruelest choice uh, of all that the Israelis are gonna have to make. I, I think that if David's correct, uh, and in fact the, the deal breaks down, the Israelis are going to continue their ground campaign uh, as intensely as they possibly can and look for operational opportunities, perhaps, uh, to rescue hostages. But that seems to be extremely difficult. And, and frankly, Wolf, I don't think the Israelis have a good answer for the dilemma that they face. It's an extremely delicate moment right now. Aaron David Miller, David Sanger. Guys, thank you very much for joining us. Coming up, uh, after weeks of uncertainty, families of the hostages face the agonizing hours of waiting and wondering. In a moment, I'll speak with a man who lost family members while others were taken hostage. This is a Situation Room special report. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. As we await the start of the truce between Israel and Hamas, I'm joined now by Omri Almog, whose sister and three of her children are among the hostages. Her husband and their oldest daughter were killed by the terrorists. Omri, my heart goes out to you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, right now. Uh, Your family, uh, obviously, is a very close family. What's going through in your mind right now as we await to see what happens in the next few hours? Do uh, you know, in the beginning, for the first 10 days, they were missing. So we hope from uh, October 8th, basically, when we found out that the family of six have four missing people. So we hope they are alive. And right now, it's uh, uh, in this crucial moment and all the situation. I, I mean, my parents and my brother-in-law, Nadav parents, is just waiting patiently. We have people from the army that uh, is in contact with us and uh, they talking to us and we understand the situation and we'll see in a few hours uh, uh, tomorrow morning uh, in Israel when we siege fire what happened. So we hope, we have patience, we're nervous, but uh, uh, the best is in the front of us. I mean, whatever happened is said and, and it's behind us. Now we have to look forward and imagine a hen and the three kids coming back to us. It's a, the government in Israel, the prime minister in Israel, this is his a, a fault and this is his. A, he needs to do it a, a, for the families to start to rebuild Faraza and, and the families and to close this gate, to finish this situation for some families so they can start. There's uh, over uh, 230 hostages. Uh, but I hope the prime minister and his, his people doing the best they can. And it's the top priority part of this war is to bring these hostages back. So if this initial group of hostages comes home, and of course we hope your loved ones will be among them, I suspect they, they're not. Necessarily, are you tomorrow? Would... They are not, but uh, we hope for the f- next few days they should be on this list. Well, are you optimistic there will be more uh, batches of hostages released in the next few days? I believe this organization is a torture, cruel organization. They don't think like us, they don't behave like us, but I believe this is part of what they want uh, to release some people. And to siege fire, I mean, they, the war is, uh, is difficult for them very much, I hope. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. There's four fairs and then we can keep going till 80 people. So we'll see what happened. How is your family dealing with all of this? It's so painful just to hear these stories. <clears throat> it is. Uh, it's almost 50 days. Uh, I left everything. I live up north. I take my family, my wife, and we are, we are only two brothers. So I'm with my parents, 
and the loss of uh, Nadav, my, my brother-in-law, is, is, is huge, and Yam, the, the oldest daughter, my... Uh, uh, we're just trying to do the best as we can every day. Uh, I, I try to do the best I can. Each person is different. Uh, my parents is very nervous. Uh, but we, we just try uh, to spend the hours together and to support each other, to go through this uh, a moment and feelings. And it's, it's uh, crazy. It's crazy. It's beyond imagination. I've been in Faraza a few times. It's a, it's a zone war. And these people, these kids that took it out from, bed, from beds in the morning with pajamas, they, they're not part of this conflict. They, they just should be at where they, they should be in the house. And somebody just came in the morning, took them out. You don't know where are they. You don't talk to them. And there's so many, you know, I, I went to the uh, European Union. I talked to people. I talked to uh, the Red Cross. I talked to UNICEF. There's so many people that they're supposed to support kids all over the world that doesn't do anything that it's... Uh, it's a shame. It's a shame, but I hope the world understands now what this organization did on October 7. It's uh, something that uh, we have to take these people off this planet. It's so important the world to understand, to give us the time to do that, because it can happen anywhere, in Europe, in, in anywhere, anywhere. If you, this is... Uh, how it looks when 20 years Israel doesn't do anything. They, we tried to buy quiet, we tried to buy peace, and, and we couldn't. We couldn't. We, they deceive us by, by, by so many things. And uh, now we understand that, we understood that, now we need the world to give us this opportunity to finish this once and forever. We hope your family will be reunited soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very oh, much for joining us. Omri Almog, uh, helping us appreciate the enormity of this uh, horrible, horrible situation. Up next, we're going to have much more on the anxious wait for the hostages as new tensions flare on Israel's northern border with Lebanon. Stay with us. This is the Situation Room special report. As we close in on an expected truce between Israel and Hamas, the IDF is still striking targets inside the Gaza Strip. CNN's Jeremy Diamond has more for us. He's joining us from Sterot in Israel, not far from Gaza. Jeremy, even though we're just, what, a few hours away from this truce, uh, and let's hope it happens, uh, you've been seeing lots of military activity close to where you are in northern Gaza. That's exactly right, Wolf. Less than seven hours away from this uh, expected truce, we are still hearing heavy military activity inside the Gaza Strip. There has been some heavy bombardments from the Israeli forces into Gaza over the last several hours, a clear uptick in activity ahead of this expected truce. Of course, this was expected. The Israeli military made very clear earlier today that they plan to continue their military operations, to continue hitting Hamas targets inside of Gaza uh, up until they get the order to stop before that expected 7 a.m. local time truce. 
and uh, one IDF spokesman t earlier today describes, uh, described the current situation effectively as business as usual, and we are continuing to hear active fighting in northern Gaza in the area of the Jabalia refugee camp, as well as Beit Lahia, two of the two uh, areas in northern Gaza, and also there have been strikes in southern Gaza as well. Uh, all of this, as we expect uh, the hostage release to take place several hours after that 7 a.m. truce, around 4 p.m. Uh, local time. We are expecting that they will uh, be taken out of Gaza at several different points, potentially, uh, and reunited with their families uh, after that at uh, the hospitals, uh, perhaps, where they are taken for medical evaluations. But what is ultimately clear is that this is merely a pause in fighting to get these hostages out. The Israeli Prime Minister and his Defense Minister making very clear that they intend to continue this war, perhaps even for at least two months uh, after uh, this pause ends in order to achieve their military objectives. Wolf. Jeremy Diamond is there wrote Israel for us not far from Gaza. Thank you, Jeremy. Be, be careful over there. Other tensions we're following here in the Middle East. Hezbollah and the IDF exchanging fire today near Israel's northern border with Lebanon. CNN's Ben Wiedemann is joining us live from Beirut right now. So what's the latest, Ben? Well, the last few days, actually, Wolf, have been pretty intense on the border, and today perhaps one of the most intense, Hezbollah claiming uh, almost two dozen strikes on Israeli targets along the border. In one instance, on they say they fired 48 Katusha rockets on the Ein Zaytim infantry base on the Israeli uh, side. Hezbollah claimed that they killed four Israeli soldiers, uh, but there's no comment on that from the Israeli side yet, although one Hezbollah fighter was killed, according to the group. Now, in response, the Israelis launched a series of drone, artillery, helicopter, and airstrikes uh, throughout the day. They said they hit Hezbollah's military infrastructure and rocket launch sites. Now, uh, Al Jazeera Arabic has cited a Hezbollah source saying that Hezbollah will actually abide by the four-day truce uh, that goes into effect at tomorrow at 7 a.m. local time, even though Hezbollah is not part of the agreement worked out uh, by Qatar. Now, also, we saw the Iranian foreign minister was in Beirut. He met with the leader of Hezbollah, and he also said on one of the local television stations that if the truce in Gaza does not hold, the scope of this war will expand. Wolf. Ben Wiedemann reporting for us from Beirut. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it very much. Turning now to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza, where civilians are begging the world to pay attention to their plight. CNN's Germana Karacha has our report, and I want to warn our viewers, some of the images are very disturbing. Life before the wars felt like a distant memory for video blogger Ayat Khadura. They were the days when she'd smile in her videos, taking her followers behind the scenes of her work in Gaza. For weeks now, her posts have been about life at a time of war. We now wake up at 5 a.m. to queue for bread. We now walk more than six kilometers to fill up a gallon of salty or fresh water. We charge our phones on the streets using the solar power we can find. We crave our favorite foods, but there's no power, no gas or water, so we have to make do with canned foods. Ayat showed people how Gazans survive 
Neighbors sharing the little they have to bake bread in clay ovens. And at times, it was about how close death felt as bombs rained down on Gaza. This might be my last video. They dropped leaflets asking people to evacuate the area. Most people fled. People were running in the streets like crazy, not knowing where to go. The situation is terrifying. God have mercy on us. As the war intensified in the north, Ayat didn't leave. The safety they were told to evacuate to in the south was an illusion. Nowhere in Gaza is safe, she said. Death and destruction is everywhere in Gaza. The occupation has no mercy on anyone, not the elderly, not the children, not the women, no one. All civilians are under fire in Gaza. Where are the decision makers? Where's the world? Gaza is being annihilated. We are dying. Someone do something, enough. But these desperate cries of so many like Ayat haven't stopped this seemingly endless nightmare for the people of Gaza, where burying their dead has become their every day, where every moment feels like it may be their last. On Monday, it was Ayat's, killed along with other family members in a night of intense bombardment of Beit Lahia. Her last video, the haunting words of a 27-year-old with a final message from Gaza to the world. We're humans like everyone else. We had big dreams. Now our dream is if we are killed, we are a body in one piece so we can be identified, buried in a grave, not body parts in a bag. When will this war end? Who will remain to tell people what happened to us, what we lived through, what we've witnessed? Jemana Karachi, CNN, London. And thanks to Jemana Karachi for that report. Uh, we're going to have much more just ahead from Tel Aviv, as well as today's other news, including in New York State. A deadline has prompted a flood of sexual assault allegations and denials by prominent political and entertainment celebrities. We have details coming up. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv, where we're awaiting the start of a truce between Israel and Hamas, as well as the release of some Israeli hostages. We're also following other important news back in the United States, including a deadline that's prompting a flood of shocking allegations of sexual assault against very prominent political and entertainment celebrities. CNN's Gene Cazares has the details. New York City Mayor Eric Adams firing back after a document was filed in New York Supreme Court accusing him of a 1993 sexual assault. As I indicated, it's absolutely unnatural. Uh, this is something that has never happened. Uh, I, I don't even recall meeting uh, the, the person. The three-page civil summons alleges sexual assault, battery, gender-based employment discrimination, retaliation, hostile work environment, and intentional infliction of emotional distress by Adams, with defendants including the city of New York and the NYPD. 
The 30-year-old claim brought under New York's Adult Survivors Act, allowing a one-year window for victims of sexual abuse to legally come forward. Regardless of the statute of limitations, it is just the latest in an avalanche of claims against high-profile men, among others, as the look-back window closes this week. So if you want to love me... Penthouse model and actress Sheila Kennedy filing suit against lead singer for Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose. Alleging in 1989 in a New York City hotel room, he violently sexually assaulted her. The attorney for Axl Rose saying, simply put, this incident never happened. Rose has no recollection of ever meeting or speaking to the plaintiff and has never heard about these fictional allegations prior to today. It was like something you never heard about. Academy Award-winning actor Jamie Foxx accused in a civil suit of offensively touching a woman at a popular New York City rooftop restaurant in 2015. A spokesperson for Fox in a statement saying the alleged incident never happened, saying the claims were brought in a previously dismissed case. We are confident they will be dismissed again. And once they are, Mr. Fox intends to pursue a claim for malicious prosecution against this person and her attorneys for refiling this frivolous action. Joan Tarsus, the latest to file suit against disgraced comedian Bill Cosby, she told CNN in 2014, Cosby gave her a drink. She passed out. When I came to, it was the next morning, and I was in bed um, with him naked. Cosby's spokesperson had no comment on the allegations. And Cassie Ventura, longtime girlfriend of Sean Diddy Combs, accused the rapper and producer of years of sexual abuse, rape, and trafficking in a suit that was resolved amicably one day after the filing. Combs' representative saying was in no way an admission of wrongdoing, does not in any way undermine his flat-out denial of the claims. Jean Casares, CNN, New York. And thanks to Jean Casares for that report. Uh, we're watching a lot of news right now, and this just coming into CNN. Musician and producer Sean Combs has just been hit with another sexual assault lawsuit. The suit accuses Combs of drugging and sexually assaulting a woman who says she was a victim of revenge porn. CNN has reached out to Combs and Bad Boy Entertainment, but has not heard back. We have much more ahead. Uh, we're reporting tonight from Tel Aviv. We're watching other news, including the latest signs of a volcanic eruption that may be imminent in Iceland. Observers say everything is w in one town is on a knife's edge. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. In Iceland right now, authorities are keeping very close watch on a town where cracks are opening in the ground and there are fears of an imminent volcanic eruption that could destroy everything. CNN's Fred Pleitgen filed this report after getting a look from overhead. Taking off straight to the emergency zone. We're on a mission with Iceland's Coast Guard to the already affected area by what could soon be a massive volcanic eruption. 
Bro, you can see how everything here is on knife's edge, but of course, the authorities are doing everything they can to save the town and save the infrastructure. The town is called Grindavik. Massive cracks in the roads show the places where pressure from an underground magma stream has already burst through the Earth's crust. The ground now uneven, as the crew says they've been observing the rift widening in the past days. We see differences uh, between days. We see the, sometimes we see the crack a little bit wider. Grindavik was evacuated and could soon be completely destroyed by hot lava, authorities fear. From up here, you can already see just how extensive the damage already is to the town of Grindavik. And that crack that you see runs all the way to the ocean. Iceland is in an area of massive volcanic activity. While this part of the country had been dormant for around 800 years, scientists say, in the past two years, volcanic activity has come back to life with several major eruptions. We fly over the most recent one. Past the mouth of the volcano and over seemingly endless lava fields still steaming hot even months after the actual eruption ended. On the ground, crews are working around the clock to try and build a berm to protect this geothermal power plant. And we also see the world-famous Blue Lagoon Hot Springs, normally a major tourist attraction, now closed down and also evacuated. The economic toll already immense. What do you think it means for the people there? I can't even imagine, you know, losing their houses and maybe their, you know, work, their whole life. Just, it's crazy. Iceland's government says a major eruption here remains highly likely, and it could happen in a matter of days. Iceland's Coast Guard aviators say they are on alert all the time. In case of uh, the uh, volcano starts, then we will fly over the area to help to the, uh, evacuate the people. Fred Plekin, CNN, Reykjavik, Iceland. Our thanks to CNN's Fred Plekin for that report, important report. We're watching you closely. And stay with us. We're live here in Tel Aviv, counting down to the start of a truce between Israel and Hamas, which should result in the release of at least some Israeli hostages. But this has not been a quiet day in Gaza at all. An update on what we're seeing and hearing as our Situation Room special report continues. <laughs> Happening now, the temporary truce between Israel and Hamas is now just hours away. The pause in hostilities expected to set the stage for the first major hostage release of the war. 13 captives on the verge of returning home, followed by more in the days to come. Right now, very anxious families in Israel and across the globe are hoping the deal holds without another delay. This hour, I'll speak with a key senior advisor to the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv, Israel, and this is a Situation Room special report. Our top story this hour, Israel now on edge as the deadline for a truce between Hamas and a major hostage release draws closer and closer. Our chief global affairs correspondent, Matthew Chance, is joining me here in Tel Aviv. He's got details. So, Matthew, first of all, what do we know about the hostages who are expected to be released? 
Well, we know there's an initial list, Wolf, of 13 people on that list. And that list was given by Hamas to Israel via Qatar, which has been playing a leading role mediating this hostage deal. All of the hostages on the list for potential release tomorrow, um, I'm saying potential because, you know, it's already been put back once, uh, 24 hours, and it's a very fragile deal. They're all women and children. Um, the Israelis estimate uh, that there are dozens, perhaps as many as 40 children that are being held captive inside Gaza since being abducted uh, back on um, October the 7th. Um, now, in, in terms of the names, that list has not been publicised for good reason. They're not you know, making public who exactly is on that list. But Israeli officials say that they have contacted all the families uh, to tell them whether or not uh, they are on the list. And so you can imagine it's a very anxious time, a very stressful time all across Israel right now, but specifically for those families who have either just found out uh, that their loved ones are on the list or perhaps even worse, found out that they're not on the list. And I know you've been speaking with a lot of family members of these hostages. What is the bottom line? What are they saying to you? Oh, well, I mean, actually, I mean, the, some of the families that I've spoken to, it's, it's mixed, right? Some of the families I've spoken to are very optimistic. They are hopeful, even if their loved ones are not on this first initial uh, sort of group of hostages to be released. It's going to go on for the next four days at least and perhaps longer. They're still optimistic that this is a step in the right direction, that eventually they do now stand a chance of getting their loved ones back, um, certainly the people who have got women and children uh, who are being held captive inside Gaza. It's mixed, though, because, you know, whatever happens, I mean, the Israelis are talking about perhaps 50 people, perhaps 80 people, perhaps more, depending on how long this goes on for. There's still going to be a lot of people left behind, particularly the soldiers, the men. You know, no one at the moment is really talking about the possibility of them uh, coming back. And I spoke to one woman uh, from a kibbutz near, near Gaza that was, uh, you know, kind of attacked on October the 7th. You know, very despondent that her 38-year-old nephew uh, was was not even being talked about at this point. And so, again, mixed feelings, happiness, but also, you know, sweet. Let's hope they come home. Matthew Chance reporting for Thanks. us. Matthew, thank you very much uh, for reaction now from the White House. I want to bring in CNN's Arlette Sines. She's traveling with President Biden in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Arlette, what is President Biden saying, first of all, about the hostages tonight? Hold, hold on one minute. I think we lost our connection uh, with Arlette. We're going to try to reconnect with her. Don't uh, disconnect. I want to bring back uh, Matthew Chance. All right. Matthew, you got your microphone there? Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about okay. what else are you hearing. This is a, a really sensitive moment. But I've been speaking to a lot of Israelis, family members. They're really nervous that despite it looking optimistic, it could collapse. It's not a done deal. They say yeah. until it's a deal. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And, you know, there, there are a lot of moving parts. There are lots of logistical aspects of this, the transfer of the hostages to the border in Rafa to Egypt, the handing over to the, the Red Cross until they're eventually handed back into Israeli hands that could go wrong. And it's one of the reasons why I think we've seen um, this deal you know, already be set back at least 24 hours. I mean, it, you know, when, when it could be set back again if that doesn't happen. Hopefully it won't be. But there are all these all these problems. Um, I've learned some stuff about what's happening with the Palestinian prisoners as well, because the flip side of this is that Palestinian prisoners are going to be released as well. And what Israeli officials are telling us is that they're going to release uh, 39 Palestinian prisoners uh, when these 13 Israeli hostages are eventually in Israeli hands. Now remember, they're, they're swapping three for one, so 13 times three, 39. Um, but they've made the point this morning that they're not going to be doing that, not going to be letting a single Palestinian out until all of those 13 hostages are safely back in Israeli hands. And so, again, you know, another part of the deal that could potentially set it back if it goes wrong.
All right, Matthew, stand by. I want to see if Arlette Sines is available. She, I think we had a technical issue with her. Arlette, uh, I asked you what President Biden is now saying about the hostage situation tonight. Yeah, well, President Biden struck an optimistic tone about this release of the hostages that is expected to take place tomorrow. But he said, told reporters he wouldn't be ready to provide a full update until that first wave of of hostage releases is completed. But the White House and President Biden have been very keyed in into how this deal is being implemented. That is a key focus uh, heading into tomorrow's uh, release that's expected. And one big question for officials is how many Americans will be included in this initial batch of hostages that are released. There is a hope that there will be three Americans, uh, two women, and also that young three-year-old girl, Abigail Adan, who will be part of this larger package, but they're waiting to see exactly if they will be released tomorrow. President Biden today telling reporters he was keeping his fingers crossed that Abigail Adan, that three-year-old toddler, would be part of this release. Now, U.S. officials are expected to notify the families of any Americans who are released once they are departing departing Gaza. That's according to a U.S. official. Essentially, what will need to happen is an American official or a trusted third party will need to set eyes on these Americans before they move forward with notifying their families. But the White House is hoping that in the coming days, there will be that release of uh, three Americans uh, included in this deal. And so they're waiting to see how this all plays out tomorrow. Arla, while I have you, how did President Biden spend this Thanksgiving? Yeah, President Biden is here in Nantucket, Massachusetts. This is a family tradition for them to visit uh, this island uh, for decades now. The president and the first lady spent some time this morning making phone calls to service members from each of the military branches. They also stopped by a firehouse to drop off five pumpkin pies uh, for first responders and firefighters working there. And then the president's granddaughter, Naomi Biden, posted this photo of the family saying that they partook in an annual polar plunge, jumping into the waters of the uh, off the coast of Nantucket. You can see President President Biden there wrapped in a towel with his son Hunter, daughter Ashley, and his grandchildren. Uh, and so we are also expecting that the family's going to sit down for a Thanksgiving dinner at some point this evening, a quiet night at home for the Bidens here. Arlette Sines, thank you very much for that report. Uh, joining us here in Tel Aviv is Mark Regev. He's a senior advisor to the Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Mark, thanks very much for joining us this hostage deal was supposed to be taking place today, but it's been delayed till tomorrow. Are you at all concerned it could be delayed again? So like President Biden, I think Israelis are keeping their fingers crossed that this will in fact happen and we'll see 13 Israelis returned tomorrow. That's our hope. Uh, but we have to wait and see. We know who we're dealing with. Hamas is, is a brutal, ruthless terrorist organization and we have to be ready for things that are unexpected. Why was there a delay? I'm still not clear why they decided to delay from today till tomorrow. So I can't go into the details. I'm sorry. All I can say is I'm hopeful it'll happen tomorrow. Like President Biden, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. How confident are you that this will be the beginning of at least 50 Israeli hostages coming home? So that's that's the understanding reached. And that's what we're, we're hoping for, though it's bittersweet, because if we get 50 home, There's still 190 in Hamas captivities being held hostage. And of course, we want them all home. So this is basically just the start. But you have confidence that this will work? I don't have a lot of confidence. But because Hamas has been under a lot of Israeli military pressure, 
Uh, we've been hitting their uh, military machine. We've been hitting their uh, commanders. We've been eliminating their, their top military commanders. They're under pressure. They want this time out. They, it's, they don't need a humanitarian well, they're pause. They're going to get a pause right now. They get a pause. So how worried are you that if there's three or four or five days, whatever the pause is, that it will enable Hamas to rebuild? So obviously it's a calculated risk. Uh, 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 the prime minister himself said this was not an easy decision. But we have the uh, uh, priority is now we have a chance to bring out uh, uh, hostages. Obviously, amongst this group, there are children, infants, even a baby. And this, I think, is a crucial point. A nine-month-old baby was taken hostage by Hamas. He, he's, he's now 10 months old. He was a hostage before he could uh, walk or talk. This shows exactly who we're up against. It's pretty brutal when you think about it. Uh, the defense minister, Yoav Gallant, he says that uh, the war could continue for another at least two months to try to destroy Hamas. What do you say? As long as it takes to get our goal. And our goal is, one, to, to destroy Hamas's military machine. Number two is to get all our hostages out. And number three is to create a new reality in Gaza where Israelis don't have to live in fear anymore of these terrorists crossing the border in the middle of the night and butchering our people. There are our goals. Those goals will be met. So if after this initial pause, uh, in order to get more hostages home, will there be more pauses? So Hamas has an option. It's in the understanding. It's in the framework that after the four days, if they automatically release, if they tell us they're ready to release another 10, they get another day and then another and another. In other words, to get our hostages out, we're willing to continue the pause. But ultimately, our goal does not change. There will be a Gaza Strip without Hamas, without a Hamas running uh, the, the, the area. Ultimately, Israelis have. We refuse to live any longer next to this terrorist enclave, living in fear that in the middle of the night, terrorists are going to cross the frontier and butcher their children. It will not happen again. As this uh, truce, this temporary pause, looks like it's going to happen, at least some Israeli hostages will be coming home, it looks like the situation in the north with Hezbollah and Lebanon is heating up big time. Are you worried about another major war erupting up there? Of course. We've got to keep our eye on the ball in the north. Uh, Hezbollah, as you know well, is, is Hamas's twin sister. Are they part of this deal? No, not part of this deal. And we're watching the north very, very closely. So there will be no pause as far as we retaliating against Hezbollah? Well, you use the word retaliation. They're hitting us. They're attacking us and we're returning fire. We didn't want to see any fighting in the north. This is Hezbollah's choice. And we warn Hezbollah, if Hamas succeeded in, in, in surprising us on October 7th, and we paid a bloody price for, for, for being caught by surprise, yes, sir. A price in blood that Israelis are, are anguished about. Uh, but if Hezbollah in the North starts something, we won't be taken by surprise. We've got our eye on the ball, we're watching closely, and if they escalate, we are mobilized and we are ready to respond forcibly. Because Hezbollah has thousands of rockets and missiles and bombs provided by Iran, potentially a much greater threat to Israel than Hamas. That's 100%. Now, once again, we want to concentrate on Gaza. We prefer it stays quiet in the north. But if they force us to fight, we will win decisively. One quick final question. Is the Israeli government and the Biden administration on the same page? I believe so. On the, on the important issue, one, the need to destroy Hamas. Two, the need to create a new reality in Gaza. And three, to get all the hostages home. We're on the same page. Mark Regev, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you.
Mark is a senior advisor to the Prime Minister of Israel. Up next, a closer look at Qatar's crucial role in mediating the negotiations leading up to the truce and the hostage release. We'll be right back. We're only hours away from the truce and the first exchange of Israeli hostages and Palestinian prisoners. CNN's Brian Todd takes a closer look at Qatar's role as a key intermediary in helping broker this historic agreement. A pivotal player in getting the hostages freed from Hamas captivity is a tiny emirate over a thousand miles away from Gaza, smaller than the state of Connecticut, with about a quarter the population of New York City. Qatar, an oil-rich nation on a peninsula in the Persian Gulf, ruled by a 43-year-old sheikh named Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, who took over when his father abdicated 10 years ago. Analysts say Qatar has been indispensable in brokering this hostage deal. Qatar is central. Uh, it has relationships with broad range of terrorist groups throughout the region and unsavory regimes. Qatar was instrumental in getting four hostages, two Israelis and two Americans, released about two weeks after the current war started. And that wasn't Qatar's first go-round with deals like that. Qatar has had a long role in these kinds of prisoner negotiations, uh, most recently uh, playing an important role in getting five American prisoners released from Iran. Uh, there was $6 billion of Iranian funds that were sent to Qatar. That deal took place in September. Analysts say mediation has long been one of Qatar's most marketable skills, specifically its ability to be an interlocutor between international players who are at odds with one another. They are seen as a sort of um, a fair player by many of the different actors in the region. They do have some leverage uh, over Hamas. For years, Qatar has given sanctuary to figures like Hamas's top political leader, Ismail Haniyeh. And Qatar's financial support for Hamas and Palestinian citizens in Gaza has been substantial. The state of Qatar funding Hamas for many years, underwriting the salaries of Hamas and, and uh, Palestinian employees and in Gaza. But Qatar has also been one of America's closest allies in the Middle East, not only supplying oil and gas, but also allowing the U.S. to maintain the Al-Udaid Air Base, headquarters of U.S. Central Command. We ran operations not only in Iraq, uh, but in Afghanistan. Out of there, we continue to run uh, operations. Qatar was crucial in facilitating America's 2021 evacuation from Afghanistan. It's maintained back-channel contacts with Israel, while at the same time having relationships with groups like the Taliban and al-Qaeda, and sharing an enormous natural gas field with Iran, all of which allow Qatar to have dialogue with key players in the region like no one else can. And, experts say, Qatar is willing to do things in negotiations over hostages or captured militants that the U.S. and others won't. The United States typically in the past has not paid uh, ransoms, but Qatar has no qualms about it. Analysts say when tensions in the Middle East subside, Qatar will be under significant pressure, as it already has been from some members of the U.S. Congress, to sever its relationship with Hamas and kick Hamas leaders out of Qatar. But they say it's an open question right now whether Qatari leaders will actually take that step. Brian Todd, CNN, Washington. Brian, Brian Todd, thank you very much for that important report. Coming up. We have live reports from here in Israel with that official pause in fighting now just a few hours away and the first hostages set for release. Stay with us. You're in the situation.
We're, we're following major new developments here in Israel. 13 hostages could be just hours away from leaving Gaza after more than six weeks in Hamas captivity, with more to come in the days ahead if, if the truce with Hamas holds firm. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is on the story for us, joining us from Steroid, Israel, not far from Gaza. Jeremy, give us the latest. What are you hearing? I understand there's been some serious military activity going on tonight in northern Gaza. Well, if we are less than six hours away from that expected truce between Israel and Hamas, but over the last several hours, we have been witnessing a very notable uptick in Israeli military activity inside Gaza Strip. We have been listening and watching as Israeli forces have been pummeling northern Gaza. Uh, we have witnessed heavy explosions, outgoing artillery fire, as well as machine gun fire coming from inside Gaza, indicating active battles between Israeli forces and Hamas militants. Uh, the Israeli military said earlier today that they intended to continue carrying out their military operations inside of Gaza up until they get the order to stop. Business as usual is how one IDF spokesman uh, described it to us earlier today. And so we are witnessing this continuation of activity up until that truce. You can hear some of the booms still going off in the background. Uh, but at 7 a.m., if everything goes according to plan, there will be a pause in the fighting to allow for the release of the first 13 hostages who are expected to leave Gaza and enter Israel. They are going to be met by Red Cross officials inside of Gaza who will then take them to Israeli forces at various points uh, between uh, Israel and Gaza. They will then go to hospitals where they are expected to meet their families uh, for most of them. Some of them will meet their families at uh, near the border if they are under 12 years old. We don't know, of course, the condition of those uh, of those hostages, and that is part of why they are going to be heading to hospitals. But we are witnessing behind us, Wolf, as you can see, some of the, the lighting coming from behind us, uh, likely flares, but also potentially fires burning from some of those strikes that have been coming from that very same direction. But after this pause in fighting ends, Wolf, after those 50 hostages, perhaps more if the pause is extended, the Israeli officials have made very clear that this war is going to continue until they reach their aims of not only getting back all of those nearly 240 hostages, but also destroying Hamas and removing Hamas from their hold on power in Gaza. Jeremy Diamond in Sderot, Israel. Stay safe over there, Jeremy. I tell you that every day. Appreciate it very much. Meanwhile, Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank are also anxiously awaiting the truce between Israel and Hamas. Let's get some more on all these late-breaking developments. CNN's Nima Al-Bagher is joining us from Jerusalem. Nima, what is CNN learning about the current situation, first of all, in Gaza? Well, as uh, Jamie sho uh, Jeremy showed us there, Wolf, there has been an intensification of the bombardment of Gaza. And given what we know of the, the, the toll, the cost, to civilians, you can only imagine what it's like tonight. Uh, this uh, video we're about to show is from earlier today, but this man perfectly captures what so many Gazans are feeling, Wolf. Take a listen. We pray for martyrdom, but the fear, this fear, I can't describe it. We die every night in this war. You hear the sound. About to strike. And we don't know where it would hit. 
a missile destroys a block. So imagine what happens when we are hit with three missiles. And Wolf, that was before this latest escalation that, that we've been reporting on. It's, it's so important to remind our viewers that until a couple of days before this deal was announced, Prime Minister Netanyahu was adamant that there would be no truce, that he would continue bringing this war to Hamas in Gaza, which unfortunately means bringing the war to civilians. Wolf? Nima, Israeli officials also released today more details about the Palestinian prisoners who will be released in exchange for the Israeli and other hostages. What can you tell us about that? The initial list published by Israel had 50 hostages with, of course, meeting the, the guidelines agreed that they would be teenagers and women. Given that Israel uh, legally detains Palestinians from the age of 14 up, there are at least 380 teenagers available. So people were really hopeful that perhaps their child could be among those released. Unfortunately, when the list uh, just a few hours ago was finally confirmed, there are only 39 Palestinian prisoners that will be coming home whenever um, the deal finally is brought together. It, it is a crushing blow for so many people here who'd hoped that maybe they would be among the lucky ones, Wolf. Nima Albagar reporting for us from Jerusalem. Nima, thank you very much. Right now, I want to bring in retired U.S. Air Force Colonel Cedric Layton for some serious analysis. Colonel, thanks so much for joining us. What do you expect Hamas to do during this brief pause in fighting? Wolf, I think what they're going to do is they're going to move their forces around. They're going to try to avoid detection by the Israelis. And uh, that speaks to the uh, cessation of drone flights. Uh, Hamas is going to take advantage of that because of the surveillance picture. Uh, that part of the surveillance picture, at least, will be lacking for the Israelis. So Hamas is going to take advantage of that. They're also going to deploy their forces in a way that will allow them to potentially ambush Israeli forces. Now, they've got some serious challenges on the Hamas side because Israel is sending a lot of uh, airstrikes their way and a lot of artillery uh, strikes as well. Uh, and what that's doing is it's kind of forcing Hamas back from the northern area of Gaza. So with all of that in mind, what you're seeing is a consolidation of forces on both sides uh, with the preponderance of Israeli force right now concentrated in the north of Gaza and then potentially moving into the central part for a push once more into Gaza City. Uh, on the other hand, Hamas is going to try to keep as much of Gaza City as they possibly can, and they're certainly going to try to keep their tunnels active as well. Colonel, uh, Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, says he expects the fighting against Hamas to last, in his words, at least another two months. Do you see that as being enough time for Israel to accomplish its objective of completely destroying Hamas? Not really, uh, because destroying Hamas would require not only a military victory, but also a psychological and uh, political victory. Uh, that is something that I don't see happening, because at this particular point in time, you have two very hostile populations pitted against each other, and uh, Hamas is very determined to keep its power base in Gaza as, as long as it can, 
And the Israelis, of course, are equally determined to uproot them. But Hamas is, go- is basically got the upper hand when it comes to uh, the hearts and minds, uh, to use that overused term, of the Gazan people. They, Although they have had basically less than majority support before October 7. Right now, I think their support has increased, and that is going to also impact the way in which Israel has to conduct this war. So it's going to take more than two months if they want to complete that goal of destroying Hamas. Retired Colonel Cedric Layton, thanks so much for joining us. You bet, Wolf. And just ahead, former President Trump using social media overnight to attack the judge overseeing his New York civil trial. How this could impact the back and forth over a gag order. New information coming in. Plus, we also are getting new details on the shooter who opened fire at a Walmart this week in Ohio. What investigators are now saying, why they believe, what they believe led to the shooting. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv. We'll have much more ahead on the impending truce between Israel and Hamas and the expected release of some Israeli hostages. We're also following the day's political news back in the United States. Donald Trump is using Thanksgiving as an excuse to attack his legal adversaries. CNN's Elena Trine is uh, joining us. She's got details of the former president's social media posts that popped up right in the middle of the night. So who is he going after now, Elena? Yeah, well, Wolf, uh, Donald Trump at 2 a.m. issued this truth social post this morning. He essentially said, happy Thanksgiving to all, uh, including his quote unquote enemies who then he proceeded to attack. And one of those uh, is the judge in his New York civil fraud trial, as well as the clerk in that case. Um, And really, Donald Trump is taking advantage of a gag order in that case uh, that was temporarily lifted last week. The judge, his name is Arthur Engeron, uh, issued a gag order against Donald Trump last month uh, preventing him, or trying to prevent him, I should say, from attacking his staff, uh, including his law clerk. And Donald Trump has so far violated that gag order two times, uh, and totaling a fine of $15,000. But last week, a New York, uh, a New York Court of Appeals uh, decided to lift the gag order temporarily because Trump's attorneys had argued that this uh, gag order is, quote, unconstitutional. And so we are seeing Donald Trump take advantage of this. He uh, specifically said that the judge, Arthur Engeron, is, quote, a radical left Trump-hating judge, as well as a, quote, psycho. And he specifically named Engeron's chief uh, law clerk. And that is something that he's been fined for before, as I mentioned. And so um, right now, it's unclear if he'll face any consequences from this. Again, the gag order is temporarily stayed. Um, But this is the kind of rhetoric that the judge in this case has been uh, saying repeatedly that he wanted Donald Trump to avoid. Elena Treen reporting from Washington. Elena, thank you very much. We're also getting new details about Monday's mass shooting at an Ohio Walmart. A gunman injured four people before killing himself. Let's go to CNN's Nick Watt. Uh, Nick, the FBI says he was inspired by racist, violent, and extremist ideas. Is that right? Well, that is the theory that they are working on right now, Wolf. The investigation remains active. But apparently FBI officers, this is according to WHIO, one of our local affiliates, that the FBI and other officers found in his home and in his truck materials that lead them to believe that this could be a racially motivated attack. Apparently they found two Nazi flags. They called something they're describing as an SS history book. And they also read 
what he had been writing in his journal. And all this leads the FBI to believe, quote, I'm going to read from their release, that the attack may have been at least partially inspired by racially motivated violent extremist ideology. Now, the gunman apparently pulled up outside this Walmart in his truck at just after 8.30 Monday night, left the door open, walked in, and he actually was walking up the cereal aisle holding his weapon and bumped into a shopper. And this shopper called 911 and said that he thought that this man, Benjamin Jones, who's just 20 years old, he thought he was armed with a BB gun. Jones apparently said hi and then walked on. Four people were shot, all of them injured. They are all expected to survive. And it seems that he picked these victims at random, but again, that is still under investigation. The people injured, two black women, one white man, and one white woman. Apparently, he bought the weapon a couple of days prior, and of course, that is also something that's being looked into because according to some reports coming out of Dayton, Ohio, the police were called to his house a couple of times in 2022 due to his mental state. And he was, in fact, taken to the hospital on both occasions, we are told. So this is still active. But, Wolf, of course, when you hear Walmart and Shooter, you do think racially motivated. When we look back to 2019, that horrific incident at a Walmart down in El Paso, Texas, where 23 people were shot dead and many others injured by a white nationalist who believed that Hispanic people were somehow, you know, um, infiltrating this country. And, and you know, so it, it harkens back to that. Now, we do not know exactly, as I say, what the motivation was here, but it is looking like the FBI is, the FBI is saying that they are working on the theory that this also was a racially motivated attack. The gunman himself is dead. He died of a self-inflicted wound in that store before police even got to him. Wolf. All right, Nick, thank you very much. Nick Watt reporting for us. And we're going to have much more ahead from here in Tel Aviv. But coming up also, news on the front lines of another war, what Ukrainian civilians are now making in their homes to help armed forces in the uh, fight against Russia. We'll get back to our coverage of the upcoming Israel-Hamas truce and hostage release in just a few moments. But we're also following the war in Ukraine, where a drone shortage is forcing Ukrainian civilians to build their own for the war effort against Russia. CNN's Anna Koren has the story. On the outskirts of Kyiv, a soldier puts on a pair of goggles. Welcome to OpenTX. She's part of a unit testing the latest batch of drones that have just arrived. Some work, some don't. But this is the place to find out before they're delivered to Ukrainian troops on the eastern and southern fronts. Some of these drones are from civilians, produced in homes on kitchen tables. They can be used for reconnaissance or assault missions. Drones have become a critical component of this war and are absolutely essential to every single Ukrainian unit on the front line. And while civilians are working with private companies and the military to produce as many drones as possible, these soldiers say there are not nearly enough. As Russia's full-scale invasion approaches a second year, there is now a critical shortage of drones. 
China's decision to shut down exports of parts, citing national security concerns, is part of the problem. However, the biggest issue is Russian electronic warfare. A Ukrainian official tells CNN the military uses roughly 30 to 40,000 drones per month. They're cheap and expendable, but soldiers on the ground say they need at least 10 times more. A grassroots army of civilians are heeding the call, including Vera and Alexander, encouraging others to do the same. Their operation has taken over their one-bedroom apartment. He makes drone parts with his 3D printer, while she creates camouflage dressings for soldiers' helmets. Their work acknowledged by grateful troops in Bakhmut, who sent them Ukraine's coat of arms made of bullets. Instead of getting married and having a wedding, we spent that money to start making drones. Now we are happy without gold rings, but with the drones. Companies like Victory Drones are training up civilians online to help build these little birds, to then distribute to the military. If you attach the payload to the uh, bottom, if you attach the battery on top, you have uh, a perfect shell which is a guided missile. Volunteer and soldier Gennady says to compete with Russia's industrial output, Ukraine must innovate or there will be no future. He's already lost his best friend, seen here in this video singing lullabies to their children. He knows too well the painful price of this you know, war. Um, when I'm saying uh, innovator die, I see eyes of uh, people from my unit. I lost already. And obviously we have to win this war because uh, otherwise they, the, the sacrifice was uh, fruitless. Even the next generation is getting involved. The military has begun training school kids, some as young as first graders. My name is Sofia. I'm six years old. I like flying drones and protecting the country. And there are even plans to make this part of the nation's education system. Anna Corrin, CNN, Key. And our thanks to Anna Corrin for that report. Uh, here in Israel, meanwhile, the holidays can be a very lonely time of year for IDF soldiers serving from abroad, including from the United States. But a volunteer organization is helping them give thanks during wartime. Yeah. Okay, okay, so we have mashed potatoes, green beans. For many Israeli Americans gathering to give thanks, this holiday is a sad one. There are empty seats at some Thanksgiving tables, those killed by Hamas on October 7th, and the more than 200 people still being held hostage in Gaza. This day is especially tough for what the Israelis call lone soldiers, men and women like Tali Rochwerg, who are from abroad and serve in the Israel Defense Forces here without their families. We act as a little family for them. Tali volunteers at the Lone Soldier Center, one organization helping bring people together during this very difficult time. She and fellow volunteer Anat Ben-Dror's families are not among those killed or captured, but they're working to support others in a country reeling from the October 7th Hamas attack. Usually we're doing very big events on Thanksgiving to the Lone Soldiers, but in this time we thought what's the right way to celebrate in these not happy times here in Israel. 
We decided to celebrate it for the ones who can come, to thank them for what they are doing, and to say thanks that we are alive, and to try and get some strength from one another. Um, so it is, it's like a um, bittersweet Thanksgiving, I have to say. Despite everything, the people here are taking some comfort in this moment of unity. We don't have our families here, and we want to spend Thanksgiving with people that we love and people that we feel comfortable with. And so we have this event for them so that we can all come together and still celebrate and have that joy. We're going to have our turkey and uh, the yams with marshmallows on top, hopefully. And uh, we're going to have our dinner here with the lone soldiers who, who can arrive and join us. So that's what we're trying to achieve here is bring everyone together. doesn't matter if you're American. For Ornella Fuchs, today is about remembering the loved ones lost. We light a candle in memory of our soldiers who died in, on the Sabbath on the 7th October. Hanging over this dinner table and the country is the absence of those who are being held hostage. The feeling that while we're all together, we're not fully whole. There's still uh, a part of our country, of our people that are not with us tonight. We want everyone back home, able to be with their families. We want kids back home with their parents. But also at the table, gratitude for the glimmer of hope as families wait for the release of the hostages. I think part of this dinner today will be to think about the one we lost, to pray that we will get back soon, the ones that are still in life and in Gaza. These lone soldiers are so important to the IDF, and we're going to continue to watch them as all of this unfolds. Coming up, we'll have all the latest developments from here in Israel and the region as we approach what could be a turning point, a major turning point in the war. The deal to free dozens of Israeli hostages set to go into effect in just a few hours. Our CNN team is covering it all as both Israel and Hamas prepare for a temporary pause in the fighting. happening now. Israel and Hamas are once again on the verge of a temporary truce expected to begin just hours from now. After an agonizing delay, the families of the hostages are hoping this time the deal holds firm and that their loved ones can finally come home from Gaza. We expect Hamas to return 13 Israeli captives in the immediate hours ahead and many more in the days to come. This hour, I'll speak with one man whose son was kidnapped during the October 7th attack. I'll get reaction from a key spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces, Jonathan Conricus, as well. Welcome to our viewers in the United States and around the world. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv, Israel, and this is a Situation Room special report. Here in Israel, a long-awaited hostage release could be just a few hours away. The expected truce with Hamas appears to be on track at this hour, setting the stage for 13 captives to return from Gaza on the first day of the temporary pause in the hostilities. CNN's Oren Lieberman has all the late-breaking developments for us. After nearly seven weeks of war, it is the storm before the calm. Final hours of fighting in Gaza ticking down. 
until a pause in the conflict set for early Friday morning. 13 hostages, women and children, will then be freed by Hamas on Friday afternoon, transferred to the Red Cross, and then back to Israel. We are waiting on a day-by-day basis to wait for a phone call to see if our loved ones are coming back. Under the agreement, the pause in the fighting is scheduled to last four days. A total of 50 Israeli women and children will be released in stages in exchange for 150 Palestinian women and children held in Israeli prisons. The spokesperson for Qatar's foreign ministry expressed hope that the deal could be the basis for a longer pause. We are hoping that uh, these four days would work as a proof of concept for further uh, de-escalation measures, including uh, expanding, uh, extending this uh, humanitarian truth, but, uh, pause, but also uh, getting to uh, a more sustainable, uh, sustainable truth. Hundreds of trucks are waiting at the Rafah border crossing outside of Gaza, ready to enter the Strip as a part of the agreement. Nearly 80% of Gaza's population is displaced, facing critical shortages of food, water, and fuel. These trucks will provide only a fraction of what's required. For Gazans, the pause in fighting is a brief respite after weeks of relentless Israeli bombardment. As of Tuesday, more than 12,700 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza, based on numbers from the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health, which have not been officially updated because of a breakdown in communications. On Thursday, Israel detained Dr. Muhammad Abu Salmiya, the director of Al-Shifa Hospital. The IDF says he was questioned about alleged Hamas activity at the hospital. The IDF released footage of additional tunnels they say were uncovered below Gaza's largest medical facility. Health officials in Gaza have consistently denied Hamas used the hospital for military purposes. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, in a meeting with the new UK Foreign Minister David Cameron, said the pause in fighting is not the end of the war. We'll continue with our war aims, uh, namely to uh, uh, eradicate Hamas, because Hamas has already promised that they will do this again and again and again. The Prime Minister's office said in a statement that it had notified the families of the first 13 hostages to be released. Gil Dickman says he's holding his breath, even though his loved ones are not in that initial group. And I'm, I'm actually myself very excited to hear about the kids that are coming home and the hostages that are coming home. And uh, but, but but after saying that, I can't really believe anything until I see them free and home. Orn Lieberman, CNN in Tel Aviv. And thanks to Orn Lieberman for that report. Uh, right now, I want to go to Cutter's role in managing these extremely tense hostage negotiations. CNN's Becky Anderson has more from Doha in Cutter. Becky. Well, for the families of those 13 women and children who are scheduled to be released on Friday, there is now some light at the end of what has been this agonizing darkness. But no one is underestimating just how tough this is all going to be, not least those at the heart of this Qatar-led mediation. What is the process and route by which the hostages will be transferred out of Gaza into Israel? I'm sorry, Becky, I can't disclose information for security reasons. And uh, as I, uh, you know, we've, we've always said, our main objective here is the safety of uh, the hostages. So we can't disclose a lot of information regarding the routes they will be uh, going through. But we will be focusing on uh, making sure that they get there safely through making sure that uh, through our operations room, 
uh, that will uh, work with both the Red Cross and uh, parties of the, of the conflict, that all information is in real time and everybody is uh, getting the information the right way so we can move them safely from one place and to a, another. And a follow question, if I can. Yeah. Are you mediating a separate track with Hamas for the release of non-Israelis, specifically Americans, and are there Americans on the list? The criteria on which to prioritize the hostages was purely humanitarian, as, uh, as you know, and our focus was on getting the women and children uh, out of harm's way as, uh, as soon as possible, which is basically what we are uh, doing within this, uh, this agreement. And uh, we will be going through, hopefully, that the momentum carried by this deal would help us get everybody out in, uh, in time and, at the same time, of course, lessen the hardship of the people in Gaza through the humanitarian pause that is taking place. It isn't clear exactly who will be released on day one. But what is clear is that there are a series of obligations that both sides must adhere to. At least 10 hostages have to be released by Hamas every day. There has to be a complete cessation of hostilities on the ground. No surveillance drones to be flown over the area or any area where hostages might be released. And these humanitarian convoys must be allowed in through the Rafa border crossing. 200 trucks full of supplies, including fuel, destined for humanitarian infrastructure, schools, hospitals, which need these supplies most. This is fragile. It's not going to be easy. But what it is, is the biggest diplomatic breakthrough since this conflict began. Let's hope it goes well. Wolf? Let's hope it indeed. Becky Anderson reporting from Doha in Qatar. Right now, I want to bring in CNN's Alex Marquardt. He's in Washington for more on the U.S. reaction to this hostage deal. Alex, the Biden administration says there are what? 10 Americans likely among these hostages. What, uh, what do U.S. officials know about the release starting tomorrow? 10 Americans among the 240 hostages uh, being held by Hamas. Those are men, women, and children. What they know, what they expect, is that among the 50 who are expected to come out in the next four days, there are three Americans, two women, uh, and young Abigail, uh, who is just three years old, Abigail Idan, she turns four tomorrow. In fact, where you are, Wolf, it is already uh, her birthday. Now, we know uh, Oren just said that the Israeli government is alerting the families of those 13 who are coming out uh, tomorrow, who are expected to. CNN spoke with an aunt of Abigail just a few hours ago. She said that they had not been contacted by either the Israeli or the American government. That could be an indication, that may be an indication, Wolf, that young Abigail Idan is not coming out tomorrow. But, of course, we have to caution that everything is extremely fluid. Now, U.S. officials have said they will not alert families of the citizens who do come out of Gaza until they're out, until there is an official, a U.S. official or an official from another country like Israel or, or from a, a, an, agent, a, a, an agency that they have faith in. They will not let those families know that those Americans are out. But what American officials do know for now, Wolf, is that there is an expectation that three Americans will come out in the next few days with hopefully more to follow, Wolf. Let's hope indeed, our Alex, a quick question. U.S. officials are clearly hoping that this pause extends beyond the four days. Uh, what, more do they, what more do we know? What, what else is going on? 
Well, American officials have said that this deal was structured in a way to incentivize the pause to continue, to incentivize the parties involved for more hostages to come out, not just women and children, but all of the hostages. Now, uh, U.S. officials have said repeatedly in the past few days they will not rest until the American hostages are out. They will continue working within this framework without their counter- with, it, with their counterparts, Qatar, Israel, Egypt, to get the rest of the hostages out. Wolf. Alex Marquardt with uh, the late-breaking information. Thank you very, very much. Just ahead. Families are anxiously waiting for the release of the first group of Hamas hostages scheduled for a few hours from now. I'll speak with the father of one hostage. This is a Situation Room special report. We're awaiting the start of the truce between Israel and Hamas and the first exchange of prisoners and hostages, which will happen a few hours later. For more on this, uh, we're joined now by Jonathan dekel Ken, whose son was kidnapped by Hamas. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. I wish we were meeting under different circumstances. How does it feel, first of all, knowing that your son, Sagi, won't be among this first group of hostages released? Well, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it's, it's very painful uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, I couldn't be more pleased for uh, what I hope will be the 50 people released, uh, young uh, uh, children and, and mothers, um, many of whom I will know because the uh, disproportionate number of the children and, and, and mother hostages come from my kibbutz, kibbutz Niroz, which was destroyed on October 7th. So we will welcome them with open arms, but um, don't keep our eyes on the prize, which is the release of all 240 hostages and beyond this first group of, of 50. What sort of emotions does all this uh, raise for you? Have you spoken with any of these other families, especially the families of these little kids who might be coming home? Well, you know, really, I speak with them almost daily, Wolf. And you know, I would say these are, very, these are difficult hours for them, I am sure, um, because... We, we've been sort of down this pathway before, uh, yet there were no actual releases. So, you know, these are, as I said, this is going to be a sleepless night, I'm sure, for the families involved, um, be they from, from uh, our kibbutz or from any, anywhere else of the, from the border communities. Uh, we'll remain hopeful with them, uh, but only cautiously optimistic because of the nature of, of Hamas and what is clearly a disregard for human life and decency, both for Israelis and for Palestinian people. How hopeful are you, Jonathan, that there will be further hostage deals to free all of the hostages from Gaza, including your son, Sagi? Well, I I want to be cautiously optimistic. Uh, I I don't, it, it would be difficult to say whether or not this this first batch of, of, of releases, uh, if it does in fact happen, will be a sign for anything moving forward because of the simple fact that we're not dealing with a normal state, a normal government, even a rogue government, but rather a terrorist organization that you know that that has its own evil logic, and so it, it remains to be seen. And and at least for me, I can't speak for anyone but myself have to keep a very even keel in these days and weeks in front of us 
because um, the emotions uh, uh, consume us every day. But one way or another, we have to keep on functioning for for you know for Sagi's children, for for my grandchildren, and for all the other uh, survivors of the massacre on October seventh. Sagi, your son has two young daughters, a two-year-old and a six-year-old. How have they been dealing with their father's absence? Well, um, they miss their dad. I mean, it, it's really that simple. And, and certainly the six-year-old has lots of questions that we can't answer. Uh, you know, when's dad coming home? Where is he exactly? Is he okay? Um, we also can't answer a, a, a sim seemingly simple question. When can we go home? Uh, we can't go home. We cannot go back to our kibbutz. It no longer exists uh, following the massacre, the looting and the burning uh, of our kibbutz by Hamas and civilian looters on October 7th. So given the circumstances, you know, they're, they're doing okay. We, we surround them with love and with caring and, and hope that as children, they'll be resilient enough moving forward to... Have, have, have good lives. Uh, again, we have many more questions than answers right now. Jonathan, are you satisfied that Israel and the United States are both doing enough to help bring about the release of all of the hostages? I want to believe that they are. Uh, and Well, if I can say absolutely that in terms of the U.S. administration, and the Congress, it, certainly as far as the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is concerned, they seem absolutely committed to the return of all hostages of all nationalities uh, back, back to their homes. I think the Israeli government has a harder time um, deciding what to do and how to do it, given its, its parallel goals of uh, returning the hostages, these civilians that were taken from their homes, as a result of a monumental intelligence and military failure on the, on the, on the, on the side of Israel. Um, they, they, of course, want that, but they also, our government, very much wants to uh, destroy Hamas as a military and gov governing organization. It's our role as parents and all concerned citizens to remind our government and uh, day and night that the welfare of these civilian hostages, which are the responsibility of our government, must take first priority and cannot be pushed aside or, or, or in any way clouded during the pursuit of this war. Let's hope all these hostages come home and come home soon. Jonathan Dekelchen, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And coming up, we'll have much more of our live coverage from here in Israel. We'll speak with the spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces just ahead of this temporary pause in fighting with Hamas. Tonight, Israel and Hamas appear to be on track for the first major pause in the, in the hostility since the war began. Within hours, if the, truth ta the truce takes hold, 13 hostages will be released from Gaza with more to come in the immediate days ahead. Our chief global affairs correspondent, Matthew Chance, is with me here in Tel Aviv. He's working his sources, watching all that's going on. Matthew, tonight the Israeli military is warning there still could be changes at any moment. 
That's right. Well, th there could be changes. Uh, there have already been changes, remember. The, the pause was meant to start Thursday morning. It's now start, not starting until Friday morning. This is logistically a very complicated uh, operation to sort of extract those hostages or to, or to receive them on the other side, then to bring them back into Israel. And there's all sorts of things that could go wrong, which is why the IDF tonight, the Israeli military, are warning that this is not a deal that will be done until it's actually done. Uh, and so that's something we have to bear in mind. It's obviously causing a great deal of anxiety. But, you know, what we know so far, 13 people on an initial list that has been sent to Israel by Hamas via the mediators in, in, in Qatar, uh, the people on uh, those on that list, they're women and children. You know, uh, Israel says there's about 40 children uh, that are being held captive inside Gaza after being abducted uh, on October the uh, on October the seventh, um, we don't know the exact names of the people on the list because, for understandable reasons, the Israelis are not making that public. Uh, but they say they have spoken to all the family members um, so far tonight, uh, telling them whether or not their their family members are, are on that list or not. So you can you can imagine how stressful, how anxious people are, you know, hearing good news or you know hearing the bad news that their family members aren't on that list. It must be absolutely dreadful. And even as we're getting closer and closer to a potential truce and the hostages coming home, at least the initial batch of hostages, there's a lot of military activity going on in northern Gaza. Yeah, there is. And, and, and this is something that the Israelis have been very clear about. They said, look, we're, we're not going to stop this military pressure uh, until we absolutely have to in the, under the terms of this deal. Uh, the Israelis insist that it's, the, it's that military pressure. It's the fact that they are, you know, bombarding, you know, Hamas strongholds and, of course, lots of other people in Hamas as well, that is bringing Hamas to the negotiating table and producing this uh, first initial release of hostages. And so they're not going to give that up until they absolutely have to. All right, we'll see what's going on, Matthew. Thank you very much, Matthew Chance, reporting. For more on the Palestinian side of the agreement, let's go to CNN's Nima Al-Bagher. She's joining us live from Jerusalem. Nima, what is CNN learning about the current situation in Gaza? Well, even as people in Gaza were beginning to hope that possibly uh, in the early hours of tomorrow morning, uh, Gaza time, that the truce would be in place, that possibly humanitarian aid would be able to reach them. Instead, as they wait for that time, they are being subjected to an intense campaign of bombardment by the Israeli Defense Forces in those final hours ahead of the truce. And knowing what we have seen in the aftermath of these kind of intensifications of Israeli bombardment, there is so much concern here, Wolf, for what is happening under cover of dark to those civilians when they are so close to some kind of respite. The humanitarian pause is also expected to bring aid, and the UN has said it is going to try and make everything it can out of every minute it has. But even then, they really are scared that it is not enough to bring Gaza back from the state of humanitarian catastrophe that it's currently in, Wolf. Nima, Israeli officials also released more details about the Palestinian prisoners who will be released in exchange for the hostages. What do we know about that? Well, Israel has said that in this initial tranche of release, that those who have been convicted by Israeli courts of murder will not be released, that it will only be those who have been convicted of the charge of attempting murder. Given the opacity for so many Palestinian prisoners and their families, 
of much of this working, um, a lot of the families were unclear as to whether their loved ones would meet the requirement. But we understand now that it is going to be comprised of teenagers and uh, Israel, Israeli law allows Israel to detain Palestinians 14 and up. So we could have very young teenagers on that list and women. Uh, and uh, tomorrow the hope is that there will be 39 Palestinians if this holds. And as you said, Wolf, nothing until the last moments is certain. But people are really holding on for those initials 39 here, Wolf. Well, let's hope it starts, uh, starts in a positive way. Nim Elbagar in Jerusalem, thank you very much. Let's get reaction now to all these late-breaking developments from a spokesperson for the Israel Defense Forces. Jonathan Conricus is joining us. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us. As you know, we're only a few hours away from this, uh, uh, this pause in the fighting. Can you provide any further details on what this hostage release will look like? Well, good night to you, Wolf. Thank you for having me. Um, it will be tense. It will be vigilant and cautious. Our troops will be the first Israelis to receive, hopefully, in a few hours, those women and children that have been held in inhumane conditions by Hamas for 47 days and nights underground. And the first Israeli faces that they will see will be the faces of IDF personnel who will let them know, hopefully, that they are safe and in safe hands and will facilitate almost immediate contact with family via telephone and will then take them to medical checkup and bring them to safety in Israel. Let's hope all that happens. Uh, uh, Jonathan, Israel and the U.S., we're told, will not be able to fly drones over Gaza as part of this deal. What is the IDF doing to ensure that Hamas won't use this pause and the upcoming pauses, for example, to gather strength to further attack Israel down the road? Yes, Hamas will uh, undoubtedly use what they dub a humanitarian pause. This is the words of a Hamas spokesperson I just heard on uh, Sky News Australia. They will use this uh, pause not for humanitarian purposes, and I don't think that they could be bothered with caring about Palestinians and their humanitarian needs. Uh, they will use it for their military purposes to resupply and perhaps to stage attacks against the IDF. We are going to be on the ground. We are going to remain in our positions where we are currently, but we will be moving. And it's important to emphasize that uh, we are not going to be static, understanding fully well that Hamas has a track record of violating internationally brokered ceasefires, just like they did in 2014 when they killed Israeli soldiers and took the body of an Israeli officer, Lieutenant Hadar Goldin, of blessed memory. And we know that this is their modus operandi, and we are very aware of the fact that they will probably try to do something similar. That's the working assumption, and we will be ready for any such eventuality. Israel's defense minister, Yoav Gallant, says the fighting will continue, in his word, forcefully after this brief truce. He says that it will continue for at least two more months. Is that enough time to completely destroy Hamas in Gaza? Well, let's hope that we can get it done faster than that. It could, uh, you know, the war could end and the suffering could end for Israelis and for Palestinians 
if Hamas surrender unconditionally, and if they release all of the hostages that they took from Israel on the 7th of October, that would definitely spare us the need to do so. But if they won't, and I don't think that they will, then we will, of course, have to do it ourselves. And we are prepared, equipped, and most importantly, ready to do so once given the green light to go back to combat activity by the Israeli government. As you know, Lieutenant Colonel, Hezbollah launched a series of attacks in northern Israel uh, on Thursday. The IDF struck back, hitting Hezbollah military infrastructure in southern Lebanon. Is Israel planning to strike more Hezbollah targets? You know, Wolf, our posture along the northern border has been a defensive one. From the first day, from October 7th, we have seen almost relentless Hezbollah attacks from Lebanon into Israel, violating Resolution 1701 from southern Lebanon uh, towards Israeli civilian and military targets. And our posture is a defensive one. We have continuously warned the state of Lebanon that they are on it in a very dangerous situation. What we are going to do now is to continue to defend ourselves. I don't think that we will be taking initiatives at this time, and we will continue to defend against Hezbollah aggression. And let's hope that for once they do what's right for the civilians in Lebanon and think about the future of Lebanon instead of escalating the situation while jeopardizing everything that is left in Lebanon. So is it possible you think that this war against Hamas is now going to escalate to another war against Hezbollah? That depends mostly on what Hezbollah does. And uh, Hezbollah has escalated the situation uh, over the past few days with more and more rockets and drones and uh, missiles fired towards northern Israel. They have escalated both in terms of quantity and range and scope, uh, thankfully without significant casualties on our side and with us capable of uh, striking back quite accurately. But at the end of the day, we have said we've been very clear. We didn't want the war against Hamas in Gaza, and we're not looking for a war against Hezbollah in Lebanon. It is being forced upon us, and we will do everything necessary in order to defend Israelis, our sovereignty, against these evil and hateful organizations, both Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, but we do not seek war. That has to be very, very clear. Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conriquez, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Wolf. And just ahead, thank you. And just ahead, some good news on what is the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States, how American Jews and Muslims are actually coming together at the dinner table and their message to Israelis and Palestinians. We're back live from Tel Aviv as fighting between Israel and Hamas has caused deep divisions around the world. But inside one group in the United States, Jews and Muslims are already bridging that divide. CNN's Danny Freeman has more. Thousands of miles from the fighting, the violence, the conflict. Focus on the solution. There is food, laughter, and love in this New Jersey home. The first thing you do is you reach out to the other side. This is the Bergen County chapter of the Interfaith Encounter Association, a larger organization based in Jerusalem dedicated to respectful dialogue and support between religions. Every time I go to the meetings, like just this, all these things that we have in common, 
I'm like, wow, you guys believe that too? Right? <laughs> this group of Muslims and Jews from several states has met for years through war, peace, and a pandemic to listen and learn. We live in a bubble. And I think when you live in a bubble, this is when the stereotypes and all these isms tend to come out. I actually think for the power of a group like this is actually the difference. And we have different ways of thinking about things. And that's when I can learn something. I can't learn something from someone who's the same as me. But that also means frank conversations about pain and discrimination with Islamophobic and anti-Semitic incidents on the rise. I realized like, oh, you guys get also uh, demonized just as much as we do. And so we are not that different. And learning that from, from you guys helps me understand that we are in this together. You have to stand up to people who may not believe what you have to say. And I am in the same position, and I appreciate very much that you've been doing that, and I try to do the same as well. At times, the work feels daunting. We are in a position, in a very tough position, that when I introduce myself, that I do interfaith, a lot of people say, I wouldn't want to be you these days. But for Mohammed Alhamsi from Pennsylvania and Joan Heffler Goldstein from New Jersey, these relationships have proved a lifeline since October 7th. When the hostilities first broke out, you know, I, 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 I finally stopped crying. I, I, I called Mohammed's wife, Tissam, because I needed to speak to my sister, who is looking at everything from a different direction than I am. It must have been incredibly difficult. It was really hard. It was really hard. It was really important for me to be able to see if I could see what her view was and show her what my view was and see if we could come together, and, and, and in fact, we did. What went through your mind when your friend, your Jewish friend, Joan, reached out to your wife for comfort? I was happy that Joan reached out to my wife. Yeah, I think it was over an hour conversation. I said, you know, I'll take it. I said, thank you, God. Thank you for, the, you know, this connection that they have. This connection was built on nine years of these types of conversations. If we're going to talk about politics, we first have to have the love and understanding and the deep trust, it's really a deep trust. There's still disagreement. There's still lessons to learn. But in this room, there's hope. I really feel that there's hope for the world. And now we should go eat. <laughs> Danny Freeman, CNN, Teaneck, New Jersey. And thanks to Danny Freeman for that report. Coming up. A flurry of sexual assault claims against prominent politicians and celebrities in New York. We have details on the new lawsuits and why they're being filed right now. Back in the United States, New York State has seen a flood of sexual assault accusations against prominent entertainment and political celebrities. CNN's Gene Casares has the details. New York City Mayor Eric Adams firing back after a document was filed in New York Supreme Court accusing him of a 1993 sexual assault. As I indicated, it's absolutely unnatural. Uh, this is something that has never happened. Uh, I, I don't even recall meeting uh, the, the person. The three-page civil summons alleges sexual assault, battery, gender-based employment discrimination, retaliation, hostile work environment, and intentional infliction of emotional distress by Adams, with defendants including the city of New York and the NYPD. 
The 30-year-old claim brought under New York's Adult Survivors Act, allowing a one-year window for victims of sexual abuse to legally come forward. Regardless of the statute of limitations, it is just the latest in an avalanche of claims against high-profile men, among others, as the look-back window closes this week. So if you want to love me... Penthouse model and actress Sheila Kennedy filing suit against lead singer for Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose. Alleging in 1989 in a New York City hotel room, he violently sexually assaulted her. The attorney for Axl Rose saying, simply put, this incident never happened. Rose has no recollection of ever meeting or speaking to the plaintiff and has never heard about these fictional allegations prior to today. It was like something you never heard about. Academy Award-winning actor Jamie Foxx accused in a civil suit of offensively touching a woman at a popular New York City rooftop restaurant in 2015. A spokesperson for Fox in a statement saying the alleged incident never happened, saying the claims were brought in a previously dismissed case. We are confident they will be dismissed again. And once they are, Mr. Fox intends to pursue a claim for malicious prosecution against this person and her attorneys for refiling this frivolous action. Joan Tarsus, the latest to file suit against disgraced comedian Bill Cosby, she told CNN in 2014, Cosby gave her a drink. She passed out. When I came to, it was the next morning, and I was in bed um, with him naked. Cosby's spokesperson had no comment on the allegations. And Cassie Ventura, longtime girlfriend of Sean Diddy Combs, accused the rapper and producer of years of sexual abuse, rape, and trafficking in a suit that was resolved amicably one day after the filing. Combs' representative saying was in no way an admission of wrongdoing, does not in any way undermine his flat-out denial of the claims. Gene Casares, CNN, New York. And our thanks to CNN's Gene Cazares for that report. Uh, we're also getting new information now about the latest sexual assault lawsuit filed against the musician and producer Sean Combs. Attorneys for the accuser, Joy Dickerson Neal, they have just released a photo of her from a music video with Combs. The suit accuses Combs of drugging her and sexual assault, as well as revenge porn. A spokesperson for Combs says her story is, quote, made up and not credible. We'll be right back with more news. During the past six weeks, CNN's Nick Robertson has covered the aftermath of the Hamas terror attack and Israel's military response. He looks back at all he's seen and heard and looks ahead to what may be next. We need to advise you his report contains graphic images. Minutes after leaving the plane in Tel Aviv. The sirens have gone off. People are taking cover. We got off the bus. People are taking cover. And you can hear the intercept missiles banging in the air. It's October 7th, 14 hours since Hamas's attack began. No one knew what to expect. A few hours later, three and a half miles from Gaza, there's Iron Dome being fired up all around us right now. It's illuminating the sky here. The bangs of the Iron Dome intercepting the rockets that are being fired from Gaza just a couple of miles away. The coming days reveal Hamas's horrors. More than 1,200 dead, 
Here, look at all these shell casings that are scattered around on the ground here. This gives you an indication of the intensity of the firefight. More than 300 at the Nova Music Festival. A rocket shelter there, where some were mercilessly killed in cold blood, had the biggest impact. Six weeks later, we happened to be passing as Israel's recovery specialists clean it out. This is bringing back a lot of painful and difficult memories. The last time I was here, six weeks ago, it was still full of human flesh and remains. And I'm looking inside, and it seems, I don't know, worse. The grenade splatter, the gunshots uh, that are in the wall here, they're bigger, they're worse. I'm just looking at it. That night I was, I, I was really emotionally beaten by what I saw here. I don't know, it's clean. But I don't think I'll ever forget it and that feeling. Equally unforgettable, the scale of suffering and death inside Gaza. An average of 2,000 people a week killed. Two-thirds of them, women, children and the elderly. The worst I've ever witnessed while covering a war. My only access to Gaza with the IDF, revealing an apocalyptic landscape where every building appears crushed, collapsed, shot up, burnt or blown apart. Nothing untouched by the war. Destruction on a scale I've never encountered before. More rockets coming out, more rockets coming out. Guys, more rockets coming out. For weeks from a balcony a mile from Gaza, witnessing the destruction, explosion by explosion, day after day. As the IDF followed political orders to destroy Hamas. Rockets, guys. And Hamas emerging to fire rockets back. Through these long weeks, talking to with families of hostages, hearing their pain. It's excruciating. We don't know if he's healthy uh, or wounded. Uh, we know nothing. And sharing difficult moments. Guys, siren. With victims returning to where Hamas attacked them. They were lined up and they, they were, I saw one of my friends, she was begging for her life. So what next? Ceasefire, hostage release, maybe, but it won't be all hostages and the hold in fighting is unlikely to last. Israel fears Hamas will exploit the pause to regroup. Hamas will do whatever it takes to survive, including not handing over all the hostages. Israel vows to completely destroy Hamas and release the hostages. A tactic show fighting Hamas is the priority and is far from finished. The implication judged watching the past six weeks. For some hostage families, more days and more weeks of agonizing wait. For Gaza's besieged civilians, continuing misery. Gaza is still cut off from the world. The vast majority of its 2.2 million citizens displaced 
crowded in the southern end of the enclave. Humanitarian access on a scale to match the scope of their need is absent. Israel vows to rout Hamas there too. Most of Gaza's hospitals are out of action. International pressure on Israel is mounting. We are witnessing a killing of civilians that is unparalleled and unprecedented in any conflict since I am Secretary General. The only concrete certainties today in Gaza, rebuilding what is destroyed will take years. And in Israel, but no one will feel safe until Hamas is gone. Nick Robertson, CNN, Starot, Israel. And a special thanks to Nick Robertson for all his excellent reporting. And to our viewers, thanks very much for watching. The Source with Caitlin Collins starts right now. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.